How's everybody doing? I'm Tim. Welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to have you with us today. Today is our first day of camp and primary week, and we're going to have a, going to have a great time. Uh, they're talking about, hello, my name is God. And we're going to be looking at all the different names of God uh, throughout the week. Uh, t- today is is going to be uh, centering on God making things and creating things, and I'm going to be doing the devotional there uh, tonight to kick camp off. So if you've got a kid going, um, enjoy your week, I guess I'd say. They'll, they're going to have a good time, yeah. If you've got a teenager going to help, enjoy your week, yeah. All right. Lots of applause. Oh, that was a parent. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, well, uh, it's going to be a good time. Next week is our teen week, and uh, that's going to be going to be a blast. It's yeah. YOLO is the uh, theme there. You only live once. And so we're going to be looking at that all week as well. Uh, let's see. In your bulletin, you're going to notice when you open it up, I think on the right side down low, uh, something about a, uh, uh, a Sunday. We're going to be having an All-American Sunday at Cutter Park, which is just down this road here. You turn at the Methodist Church there at the stoplight, go down the bottom of the hill, and that's Cutter Park. We're going to be getting together there, having church there. Uh, unless it rains, we'll have it there. Uh, we're going to begin together uh, there at 10 o'clock and having an All-American Sunday. Now, what are, what are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to have worship together. We're going to sing. We're going to uh, uh, eat together as well. And by the way, speaking of eat, here are some of the things we're going to be doing. We're going to be having a pie-eating contest for those that are brave enough to... Uh, what kind of pie is it? Be surprised, Okay. Uh, we're also going to be having bingo, and we're going to be having a uh, uh, sack race, three-legged race. For those of you who have an extra leg, I guess. I don't know. And then you're going to be uh, also, uh, we're going to be having uh, wheelbarrow races, a uh, softball tournament. Uh, there's going to be, like I say, a lot. there's a playground for the kids. And this, what do we want to do there? We're wanting to pack that park. And this is where you all can come in. If you have some friends, if you do, your friends and your family... I hope you have a few friends. Bring them to this. Invite them to this. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to enjoy ourselves. The sermon won't be real long. Uh, it'll be well within uh, the time table. Uh, so you won't, be, you won't be embarrassed to bring your friends, too. Bring your family. And we're going to be have, have invitations available next week. You know, since we're talking about acts, it would just make sense that we need to be active in sharing our faith, active in inviting people to church. And so... Uh, we hope that you'll do that. I, like I said last week, I believe the church that draws a crowd is a church that's working. It's not just God working, but God, well, God working by himself, but God working through his disciples and, and, and creating that crowd. So uh, if you can think of somebody, uh, make sure you invite them. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a great time together. Uh, we're in the book of Acts. We're right now uh, looking uh, at the book of Acts. We've been kind of darting around a little bit. I think Gary was in Acts 10 a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. If, you've, uh, if you haven't got to hear that lesson on hypocrisy, I'd encourage you to get that one. Today I want to go, I want to go back a little bit and cover something that I've never preached on, never preached from the book of Acts, uh, uh, this passage, and it's Acts chapter 4. And I want to talk about uh, the believer's prayer. I know a lot of people talk about the sinner's prayer. Maybe you've heard of the sinner's prayer. You can't find the sinner's prayer in the Bible. Now, you can find sinners praying in the Bible, but you can't find the sinner's prayer. But you can find a believer's prayer. You find it several places where believers prayed and God began to work. And today what I want to do is I want to focus on that a little bit. 
we'll look at, look at this idea of prayer. Um, and one of the things that I found fascinating about the book of Acts is as, as I looked at the book as a whole, I decided to try my uh, search engine. And, I, and in, the book of, in the book of Acts, or in the Bible, I, got quick, I used quick verse. I typed in the word pray, praise, praying, prayer, prayed. Is there any others? I don't know. Maybe I, 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 th- I thought of every word I could find that was that every form of the word prayer. Then I hit search, and I was fascinated to learn that out of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 20 of them have somebody praying in them. Now we, I don't know about you, but I get the impression the book of Acts is about evangelism. Well, I'm learning that the book of evangelism is about prayer too, and that prayer and evangelism come together often in the book of Acts. In fact, the growth of the church, look at the very first how the book starts here in the book of Acts here up on your notes if you'd like to follow in your notes or on the screen. Uh, it says here, they all join together constantly in prayer. That's in chapter 1, verse 14. The book of Acts begins with people praying together. And, and, and then and you look in the Acts chapter 2, which is up here on your screen on your notes. Look at this passage. In Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles. It says devoted themselves now to the apostles' teaching, uh, uh, the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking bread. And look what it says. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to calling out to God and talking to the Lord. And when the church hit a snag in Acts chapter 5, and they were having some complaining going on in the church, people weren't getting took care of. Imagine that. Let that sink in a little bit. People complaining they're not getting took care of in the church. That happened in the early church? Yeah, what you're doing is, is so two centuries ago. Okay? Look what it says here in Acts 5 here on the screen. The, the apostles tell these guys, look around among yourselves. He says, you fix the problem. Hello? You fix the problem. That's a Tim Gill version. Look around among yourselves, and fr- yourselves, friends, and select seven men who are well-respected, who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will put them in charge of this business. Then we can spend our time in what? In prayer and what? See evangelism and prayer together there in that passage? He says, we're going to spend our time praying. It was mentioned first. The Bible's big on this. When it, when it does lists, it usually lists the most important first. He says, we're going to, we want to spend our time praying and preaching and teaching the gospel. We know that these two matter. And you find this throughout the book of Acts, chapter after chapter. Cornelius is a guy in Acts 10 that God says, an angel says to him, God has accepted your, your worship, your, your sacrifices, and has heard your prayers. And what happens to Cornelius? He becomes a Christian. Evangelism connected with prayer. You see, a woman by the name of Dorcas I know that is that sometimes you call somebody a dork. Are you Dorcas? You know. Well, it was it was a the the woman named Dorcas in the book of Acts was was special. It says she did good. She was always doing good. She dies. Another name for her is Tabitha, and she she dies. And the people are just heart wrenched about it. And what's Peter do? He comes in. He kneels down, prays. She comes back to life. And it says those that heard about this became Christians because of it. Again, prayer, evangelism. See how the two go together? They're both important. And today, we, we're going to read a passage here in Acts 4. If you want to follow me in Acts 4, uh, if you've got your Bibles, so you want to turn to Acts 4. Here's a passage where, we, we, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about a guy who was healed. 
And he was over 40 years old, remember? And he was at, this, at the gate called Beautiful at the temple. And Peter and John uh, give him not money, but giving the ability to the power of God, the ability to walk. And he goes around walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody's excited except there's always some religious folk that don't like that jumping around stuff. What's going on here? And they, Tim, is that how they sounded? Probably. What's going on here? Jumping and leaping in the temple. You're going to break a chair. You know. The guy's excited. He hasn't walked in 40 years, okay? And so he's excited. And so he's walking and leaping, and here comes the opposition. They're going, what's this going on here? And, 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 and we see Peter and John before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4. Peter explains what's happening here is God's, God's power. Jesus Christ, who you crucified. And we see this, again, another sermon toward these people, toward the Jews toward those that are, that are persecuting the church. And then uh, they, they are told in verse 18, they call them, they call them back together. They, call, they send them out of the room, talk about them. Come, Sanhedrin calls them back in and he says, look, we command you guys. They make threats where you're not to be speaking anymore about this Jesus guy. And they say, we can't help it. We can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. It's just in our blood now. It's, it's a part of our spiritual DNA. We can't stop. But they didn't beat them. They didn't know what to do with them. So they just kept threatening them. They kept telling them, you keep doing it, man. We're going to come after you. You know, we're going to audit you. You didn't get it. Okay, okay. The IRS. Okay. It happens, you know. Watch, you guys watch the news? Okay. I've been audited. I'm getting audited for a second time. I don't know if there's a connection there. Pray for me. Anyway, that is, here's what, here's what, so what, what ends up happening here? What ends up happening is they're, they're, they're told to get lost. And they, what do they do? Well, let's pick it up in verse 20, uh, in uh, verse 23. On their release, it says, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage against the people's plot and people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You look at this, you find that the early church is, is already, already running into people that oppose to what they're doing. You know, we find, you know, just the next chapter, Satan gets involved and tries to work inside the church. Here we see attempts from outside, outside the church trying to stop God's people. Guys, you know, it, church ain't worth spit if you don't have some, some opposition. Do you understand me? 
it's the environment. We get this idea. I don't know where, where we get this idea. I've even been guilty of this. Well, if we get the church services just right and we do things just right and have the PowerPoint and the spellings correct and we get everything just printed right and centered up and no, no wrinkles in the bulletin and we start on time and we finish on time, well, people will come. And none of that is in the Scriptures. The early church was sloppy. You talk about disorganized religion. This is the group. And, and what do they do? They, they are just sharing the gospel with people. They're not into something slick. They don't have padded seats. They don't even have a building, for crying out loud. And, and what do they do? They're sharing their faith. The church is growing, and it isn't very long until somebody says, that's enough. A lot of people, you know, let's face it, church. Sometimes, how, how many times have you been guilty of this? You just like to have some peace and quiet and less drama in the kingdom. I'd like to come to church once and not have some drama. You're in the wrong place. You say, well, don't churches like that exist? Yeah. They're called dead churches. If you want peace and quiet, you're in the wrong group. Well, it's because we're all sloppy and uneducated. No, we're serious Christians are going to face opposition. Any church that gets serious about making disciples, and you're going to find some opposition... You're going to find opposition outside the walls and, unfortunately, sometimes inside the walls. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Huh? I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. The, your enemies will be the members of your own household. You, want, you get serious about doing the will of God, you can expect some opposition. That was the environment of the early church. And what I want you to see in this believer's prayer, we're going to see something here. These people don't pray to get out of it. You hear me? These people don't pray, God, stop what's going on. I've been guilty of that. I've been asking God, would you just make it stop? Make this drama stop. And God's like, you've got to be kidding. I made life with drama in it. Tim, how can you sit and watch movie after movie after movie with all that drama and you can't handle a little bit in your own life? Well, as long as it's in somebody else's, that's fine. It's not in mine. What do I do when I'm... What do I do when there's opposition? Because some of you are being opposed. You're being opposed by friends, by family members, by temptation, by Satan himself. Well, let me tell you, the Acts men, what they did, they prayed. They called out to God. They spent time praying. Why? Why would they do it? Why should I? Why should I pray? Why should I start with praying in my life? Why should I pray about things? And we talked about this before. Well, let me give you something I, I see in the passage. All right, personally, and that one is why should believers pray? When a believer prays, he, he should pray because God listens. You see. Why should I be so devoted to prayer? When I pray, God hears me. I don't know if we all believe that. You ever felt like sometimes you're just talking in the air? Maybe sometimes you just go, you know, Lord, I, I don't know if you're even hearing me. Why would you want to listen to me? I mean, I know, I remember hearing a preacher one time talk about Psalm 66, where it says, if you cherish sin in your heart, you wouldn't, if I cherish sin in my heart, you wouldn't listen. And so I know I've got sin in my life. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? 
Is he talking about having sin in my life or is he talking about not dealing with sin in my life? That's different. And by the way, if you're not dealing with the sin in your life, you're not going to really deal with it. Yeah, your prayers are pretty, pretty useless. But I find people in the Bible, people like Cornelius who wasn't a Christian, people that would pray to God and God would hear their prayers. Why? Because they were dealing with their sin. By the way, it's interesting that Cornelius, when he prays to God, it's shortly after that he becomes a Christian. Again, prayer and evangelism. They go together. But maybe you're one of those kind of people who says, I don't know if God hears me. Well, look, look what the Bible says here in Acts 4. When they heard this, when the, when the believers heard this, well, the threats, it says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Why? Because they believed God would hear them. Why should I pray? Because God will listen. It says here in Psalms 34, The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. And look at this other psalm. I find this one very encouraging. I love the Lord because He hears and answers my prayers. Because He bends down and listens, I will pray as long as I have breath. Why, why bother to pray? Because God does listen. Now, I know you may have trouble getting some people to listen to you. Maybe you got tr- you're having trouble getting your kids to listen to you. Or your mom and dad to listen to you. Or your older brother. Or your younger sister. Or you're having trouble getting your boss to listen to you. Or an employee to listen to you. Or you're trying to, you're trying to get your neighbor to listen to you. But they won't listen to you. They, sometimes they just don't listen. Well, let me tell you, God wants to listen. God will listen to you when you pray to Him. When you call out to Him. And that's what, the, that's what a believer, believer's prayer, he knows this. And when they were in trouble... They immediately said, let's, let's don't get around and talk about it. Oh, let's report what happened. Now, what's the first thing we do? Let's go out there and we'll rough some guys up. Who was the guy that said that? It was that chief priest over there. And you get the biggest Christian. You always got a big one or two, you know. Somebody like Andrew. I'll go take care of him. You know, <clears throat> yeah, problem solved. No, they don't do that. They call out to God. There's their problem solver. God listens. Here's another reason you ought to pray. Be devoted to prayer. When believers pray, God works. Do you believe God works? When you hear somebody say, I prayed about it and, and this happened, do you sit there and scratch your head and go, I don't know, that sounds kind of fishy. Or do you go, yeah, I can see that. Because I want to tell you, church, when we pray, when a believer prays, God works. Look what it says here. It says, when they heard this, or I'm sorry, the, it says here, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. It, the place was shaken. Two nights ago, were you all experiencing a little shaking going on? Oh, my goodness. Channel 5. I'm, I'm watching Channel 5. and every, you, know, you know it's a big storm when all of the meteorologists are there. Daytime, nighttime, all of them are there. And they're all trying to get a word in. They're all pointing. They're all, oh, I just got this report from Twitter. You know, Mary Jane says there's a twister and, you know, really, oh, let's look. Oh, yes, we see it right there. And you, you can trust Mary Jane, you know. And, and there it is. There's the hook. There's the hook. You know, how many, did you see that? Or, and, and by the way, you know, if you listen, one of the guys said, listen, he said, you need to be very careful here, folks. When we tell you that there's a, there's a funnel cloud here, we're not kidding you. We're accurate now. We've got all this mumbo-jumbo stuff now that you didn't have ten years ago. 
And so when he says there's probably one here, there is. And sure enough, they found we had four different tornadoes touch down in the area. Where were you when that was going on? Ice cream? Denise and my dog are in the basement in the bathroom. They're in the bathroom basement. Sandy's sitting there. Denise's sitting there. You know where I am? I'm on the back deck. And I'm going, how come these aren't the colors that I see on my TV? Where's the purple and the red and the green? This is, this is kind of boring looking. And, you know, the clouds are doing that churning thing, you know. And you're going, well, I've seen this before. I've seen this in a movie, I, you know, before they open up the box and Lady's the Lost Ark. I saw that. I, that's getting kind of you know, a little intimidating there. You know, I don't want to melt here. And so I, I get inside and I hold the door and I realize, you know, the lights are on. Denise's got candles everywhere. And, you know, and they're all lit. I'm like, oh, that is nice. But I go, you know, I need a flashlight. I'll go out to the truck. So I get my flashlight, and I'm looking at it, and then this wind. I don't know if anybody was outside. It came all at once. And I'm going, shh. I get about halfway and stop and make sure my flashlight worked. Yeah. I get on the deck, and the, and the lightning is hitting. And I'm holding the door, and Denise, she sticks her head up. What are you doing? I'm, I'm standing here. You need to get down here. Oh, it's fine over here. It's just fine. I shut the door. I go out of the front porch. And the lightning begins to hit. Did it shake your house like it shook mine? It rattled the place. It just rattled the place. And it wasn't just a... It was... And it just shook your rib cage. I finally went back inside. I thought, this is getting too dangerous for me. Imagine you're praying and the place shakes. In Acts 16, there's uh, Paul and Silas in prison. Remember what happens there? The play, there's an earthquake. Oh, God, it's so cool. He just happened to time them in prison and just happened to be an earthquake. You really think that's what happened there? There's an earthquake. And what are they doing in jail? They're praying, it says, and singing. They're praying. What are they praying about? Get us out of this? That's what you and I'd be praying about. What are they praying about? Now, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I think they're praying about something else. And what happens? The place collapses, and it shakes up everybody's life. And who becomes a Christian after that prayer? A jailer and his family. Prayer and evangelism. You see, when you pray as a believer... Expect God to shake things up. You know, I noticed I, one time, I remember praying, we, we were, remember the camping trip a few years back? Some of you were here. I know Roger, remember that? Remember that? Uh, it was a big storm coming. 
And I had my little uh, laptop, and we see on uh, undergroundweather.com, here comes this storm right over Ramsey, Lake Ramsey. And we're all, what are we going to do? And I go, why don't we pray? God, what is it? Could you kind of protect us here? Because we got a bunch, you know, Coral and her kids are in a tent, you know, and they're going to get wiped out. Could we? Could you just help us out here? You know, we're thinking about, you know, Paul Morales has got his army. I mean, it's, you know, he's got everything. But a tornado would love to lap all that stuff up, you know. And so we're praying. And Roger Cress is, and, and uh, uh, we were sitting there, we're looking at the radar and we're praying. And as we're praying, we watch this radar, we watch this storm go like this. Come to us. Split apart. I kid you not. Go around us. We see the stars. And then go back together. And Roger goes, did you see that? As if to say, I don't want to be silly or like I'm insane, but did you see that? I said, yeah, I saw that. What's that all about? God listened to our prayer. We didn't pray the next day. And this storm ripped the camp camp to pieces. And I remember Roger, why didn't we pray? I don't know. I I I didn't think of it. God works when you pray. He works when you pray. Now, you know, do you expect that? He shakes. By the way, what I find interesting a couple nights ago was God did not take me out of the storm when he shook the earth. I was in the middle of it. He didn't take me out of that, but he wanted me to, I guess he wanted me to be in it. That's all I can figure. You say he wanted you to be in a storm? God's will is very controversial. And will create storm in your life. And if you want to be a a believer, a Christian, a serious Christian, you're going to have to be in the will of God. When Jesus was in the will of God, he died on a cross. So you can expect your world to get shook up a little bit. But look at this, what it says here in Isaiah 64. When you came down long ago, the Bible says here, you did awesome things beyond our highest expectations. What's Isaiah talking about? He's talking about the Red Sea. He's talking about all kind of manna from heaven. He's talking about all that cool stuff. He goes, and oh, how the mountains quaked. He says, the, the mountains shook. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen. Sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? A God like you who works for those who wait for him. That's what he's, he's saying. He works for those who trust him. He works for those who who call upon him and he will shake it up. You want God if you want God to work, be prepared to be shook up. He's going to shake your world, he's going to shake your marriage up, your home up, your work workplace up. He's going to shake your your emotions up. He isn't going to take you out of it all the time. You're not going to avoid every storm in life. But I want you to know, He works. He works in that. You say, I don't want to be in a storm. Are you so sure? Because God works in those. You know the disciples in the boat, in the storm, and Jesus is there. And He says, peace be still. And they go, wow, even the winds and the waves obey Him. Well, they obeyed Him when the storm was going on. And they obeyed Him when He hit the snooze button. And stopped it. He worked in both. And he works in... You're, some of you are going through a storm right now. I know some of you are going through... Uh, two nights ago was nothing. You've, you've lost a loved one. 
You've lost a mother, a father, maybe a, a spouse. You've lost a job. You, you know, you've lost some friends. Things are shaking all over. And I want you to know God is working in the shaking. Believe me, God is working when He's shaking you up a little. Don't be afraid of it, church. Don't be afraid of God shaking your world up. Because the mountains quake when He works. So if He's going to work in your life and my life, it's going to get a little shaky. Another reason you ought to pray is because when a believer believers pray, God empowers. I noticed that in this passage as well. Acts 4, it says, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And it says, They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with great boldness. One of the things that impresses me about, about this, the believers here in Acts 4 is that they don't seem to be all caught up and worried about anything. They don't seem to be all you know, crushed by what's going on. They don't seem to be all worked up about what's going on. Worked up enough to talk to God, yeah. But they're not trembling. They're not, they're not praying. They're, and it's almost as if because they're talking to God, they ask God, would you enable us? Equip us. Give us what we need so we can speak with great boldness. We don't want to run from this. We want to face this. And what's God, how's God answer it? He fills them with the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, when the Holy Spirit fills people, man, incredible things can happen. And what's He fill them with? I think He fills them with confidence and hope and reassurance. Because they go out and they speak boldly. See, prayer can not only change what's on the outside of me, but it also can change what's inside of me. And I know some of you here, you've got, you've got things that scare you, things that, that work, work, work you up, things that, are, that, that you're not sure what's going to happen, and you wonder, what, you know, God, what, what's going to happen here? I want to ask you, are you praying about it? I'm amazed how many people don't pray about the things that's really on their hearts. They pray a little bit about it, but they're not really praying about it. Look at what it says here in, in, in James 5. It says, The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. And see, church, I want you to know, i got to think of what are the wonderful results? Well, one of the wonderful results of prayer is inner confidence. When I pray about it, and I keep praying about it, God begins to fill me with His Holy Spirit, with inner confidence, with hope, with order and security. Look how David, or how the psalmist says it here. I was in trouble, so I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Free from what? What He tells you. I will not be afraid, because the Lord is with me. People can't do anything to me. Because this guy prays when he's in trouble, God frees him, not from the problem, but from the fear, the anxiety, the tension. Are you afraid? Are you overwhelmed? Are you really praying about it? Because God listens when you pray about it. 
And God works when you pray about it. And God empowers when you pray about it. I found this, this is true to my, I feel true in my life. When I'm praying about it, I notice that as I pray, it's like God empties me of my fear as He fills me with His Spirit. That that begins to take place. And without prayer, I run empty on His Spirit, so to speak, and fear begins to return. How much you pray about it? That's why a believer should pray. Now, one of the things I noticed about this, about this believer's prayer, again, is that it's powerful. Like, like James said, it promises great power. So how can I make my prayers powerful? That's what I've been mean to ask myself as I approach this passage. I want to have the power that these people experience in my prayer life. So how do I get that power? How do I develop a powerful prayer life? Well, my prayers become powerful, first of all, when I believe God is powerful. When I simply believe God is powerful. You believe God is powerful? Really powerful? It shows in your prayer life. The level of power you believe God has is revealed in your prayer life. What you pray about, how often you pray about it, reveals how powerful God is. There's a little book by J.B. Phillips called Your God is, is Your God Too Small? I read it years ago. and By the way, you can get that online now. Free. It's a, just write, Is Your God Too Small? PDF. And you, and you can get that book free. You don't have to buy it from Amazon or anybody. And in that, in that book, he deals with how we've, our concept of God has affected how we approach God, how we approach Christianity in general. For example, he, in his table of contents, he talks about the different kind of gods and different kind of concepts people have of God. For example, one of them is the resident policeman. They look at God as the resident policeman. What's that? He's the guy that calls you out when you get out of line, writes you a ticket, gets you in trouble, puts you in a doghouse. And some of us here go, you know, God's spanking me. God's really putting it on me because I was bad. I, I ate a candy bar and I'm on a diet, so God's getting me back. Or I, I've done this and I know God's released the hounds on me and He's just trying to, trying to get even. Another one's called the, the, the parental hangover. Now, don't get this confused with hangover three. Okay, this is not the same thing. But what, is that, what are we talking about? This concept of God comes from our, from our experiences as, uh, with our parents. And that, that our experience with our parents spills over into how we view authority. The authority of God. And they, they, uh, the, the researchers have said, well, if, you've had, if you have a healthy relationship with your parents, where, you're, where you respect their authority and you were loved and, and it was balanced, then you have the same view of God as a God whose discipline is from His love. But I don't know if, if all of us can say that this morning. I know I can't. My home was a lot different. And I learned that, I learned after I became a Christian, that my concept of my heavenly father, I was confusing it with the concept of my physical father. And that I thought my physical father, well, that my father in heaven was a lot like this one here. So when I heard the word father, I would think, you, know, you have a love. I hear a preacher say, "God loves you like a father." I get pain right here for some reason. <laughs> Talking about 
Are you kidding me? I don't want to serve a God like that. And it spills over into that. Another one is the grand old man. And we got pictures of God, right? Artists have, 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 have painted beautiful pictures of an old man with long white hair and long you know, beards and everything. And, and they're, and they're, try, you know, they're sitting like this and everybody goes, wow. That's the concept a lot of people have of God. That he's old, outdated. He can't hear very good. And when he talks, he talks in this language I don't understand. Be thou bunch. So people think, well, he's old. He's weak because he's old. He's not necessary. He can't help me. Another concept people have of God, uh, according to, to this J.B. Phillips, is they, they put God in this meek and mild category. Oh, he's meek. He's mild. He doesn't cause waves. He doesn't make trouble. He, you know, he runs from trouble. Man, you look at Jesus Christ. He didn't do that. He made trouble. He, he got right in there with the best of them, didn't he? Nothing like that. But people have this idea. He's meek and mild. So I like the Jesus, the God who's meek and mild. And when somebody starts preaching that he's tough and can be really rugged, I get uncomfortable. You're messing with my concept of God. And because he's meek and mild, therefore, you know, he can't, he's, I don't have to really listen to him because he's so mild and meek. And he's only suggesting things. He's not commanding. He's just suggesting what I should do. Then there's God in a box. What's God in a box? God in a box. He's talking about the God that we have in the walls of the church. Where, where people come and, and, and we come together and we give people the impression it's about building a church. That God is in the church, the building, the temple. And, and it's all about what happens here. And then when, pe- when new people come, it's all about getting them into our churchiology and churchiness. And not about, not about serving a great God, but building a great church. And it's all about building this great church and somehow losing sight of we're serving a great God. I think both. There's room for both. But this God in the box reserves God to where he can't work out there in the real world. He can only work whether it's religious. The religious jargon is there and, and, you know, we're singing and we're hearing a preacher and that's when God works best. But once we leave the building, we're kind of on our own because he stays here where it's safe and turns us loose. Where it's dangerous. Then there's the pale Galilean that he talks about. What do you mean by that, Tim? Well, you got you know you've seen pictures of Jesus. He's just so nice and pale, and not rugged, and you know, just, uh, you know, and, and and this paleness he brings to my life. Here I am. I've had a great time, you know, being a sinner, having a, being a pagan, you know, just having living it up. Come to Jesus. It's exciting. What are we going to do? Uh-huh. It's pale, boring. People have this idea that Christianity is taking away zest, taking away excitement, taking away passion, and they they got this concept. Why? Where did they get this concept from us? Because we walk around kind of pale, kind of weak, kind of bored.
You see, all of these concepts have a direct impact on how powerful we see the Lord. How powerful is God? Is your concept of God He is powerful? Powerful enough to handle anything that you're dealing with? Look at this passage here again, Acts 4. It says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and they said, Sovereign God. Would you circle that? Sovereign God. Why are you circling that? Well, let me tell you why. That means all-powerful God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made, they, he says, you made what? The heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You're the creator. You know, I, I've made a lot of things. Made some cool things. Made furniture. You know, I'm taking some things I've made to camp with me for my devotional to show, my, show the kids. I've made these things. But when you hold them up against the stars, it just doesn't quite compare. When you hold it up against the mountains, I, mean, I, I got rocks from all over the place I went. I got rocks from Montana. And I look at the granite I got from South Dakota at Crazy Horse. Uh, the Crazy Horse, you can get free rock. They'll get, they, they got more than they need. They want to get rid of it. And I got this big chunk of red granite. And I'm looking at it and going, God made that. And here I have, I've got my little, you know, trinket I made. Not even compares. Doesn't even come close. It says, you made the heaven the earth, the sea, and everything in them. I carved a fish out of wood at church camp one year. Beautiful. But you can't eat it. It isn't alive. And compared to a real bass, you're going to go, Tim, subpar work. (laughs) He says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And what did, what did you say, God, through this man? He says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? He's saying, why are people wasting their time opposing God? Is what he's saying. The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers uh, gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Then he talks about, this is what David said. Then they remember when God, or when this happened to Jesus. Indeed, look at the names they named. Herod. Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your look at this. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. How powerful is God? Well, these guys thought they were doing their own thing, were actually within the power and the will of God. That God had this in His plan. They couldn't have done it without God's power and will. Guys, if people can do bad things with the power and will of God, can you and I do good things with that same power? Can God change your life with that same kind of power? For your prayers to be powerful. You've got to believe. You've got to believe that God is powerful. I'm going to, this is the passage. It's not on your notes. It's not on the screen. But there was a dad who was having trouble with his son. And probably every father can relate to this. Or mom too. You have trouble with your kids. What do you do? He's pulling his hair out. His kid is so messed up. He's throwing himself into fire. 
into campfires. He's, 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 he's demon-possessed. He doesn't want to do. And in, and in Mark 9, he comes to Jesus and he says, he says, look, i got this son of mine. Look at him. He's demon-possessed. He keeps throwing himself in the fire. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can. What? If you can do something about this. Yeah, I can. And then he says these words. Everything is possible for him who believes. Here's God in the flesh within feet of this man. And he says, I can do it. God, Jesus says, I can do anything. But do you believe I can? Because that's going to matter. Well, let me say it this way to you. There's things we do every day that God takes care of us, and we've not asked him once for it. Am I right? I mean, he does things for us, and we've said before, not because we're good, but because he's good. And, 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 and he does those without us even asking him to. Every day. I want to ask you to th- think about this. Does God do powerful things that way? Or does he want us to ask? If God wants to do something powerful in your life, will he do it without you asking? He can, but will he? That's a great question, isn't it, Gary? And guys, what I'm saying is, see, I, I pray based on how I see God. I pray as powerful as, powerful as I see God. Oh, I'm not going to bother with that, because I don't know if he can really do anything about that. You kidding? God says, give me the big stuff. Give me the big stuff. Let me show you my power. These people are, are facing opposition, and what do they do? They say, Lord, your power and your will determined all of this, and we're calling upon that as well. They believed he was powerful. By the way, that man that Jesus talked to said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. What's he saying? I want to believe, but I sure got a long way to go. If you want your prayers to be powerful, begin to believe that God, the God you pray to, is powerful. Awesome and powerful. The mountains quake. The seas quake. They tremble, according to Psalm 77. They tremble. I think of Jurassic Park when the T-Rex is walking and the water goes boom. Boom. You're thinking something big is coming. And God, the Bible says, He doesn't go boom. He goes whoosh when the water is around Him. What do you have in your life, guys, that's facing you right now and you feel like it's so powerful? God dwarfs it. Why not talk to Him about it again and again and again? Because he listens as long as you have breath. Why not? If you want your prayers powerful, it starts with believing that God is powerful. The second thing is, my prayers are powerful when I believe God's will is above mine. I find this, again, maybe maybe this, Lord, maybe this sermon is just for you and me, okay, we're talking. But this week I couldn't help but think as I read the, as I read this prayer, notice it says, it, 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 uh, let's go back. Let's go back to Acts 
4. Okay? And look at this. Look at this. Let's look at it again on your notes there. I want you to see something, okay? I have discovered something about me, that my, my will is sometimes woven in God's will. That there's times I'm praying for something, and I've got God's will kind of in there. I don't know, maybe I'm like a little kid going, you know, I'd like to have this and this and this. You know, you're really good. Would you do this and this? You probably want that done. But could you do this and this too? Kind of sneak it in there? Kind of like a, a bill at Congress? Add some other stuff. We're voting on this, Lord, but could you do that too? Am I the only person? You ever thought about that? How much is your will? How much is 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 your will uh, involved in your prayers and not God's? Because when God is when I, if I want my prayers to be powerful, it's about the will of God, not mine. And let me let me read. Uh, there's a book here that we've been recommending. It's called Disciple by Juan Carlos Ortiz. We have it on sale at the bookstore if you want to get a copy of this thing. Written 30 years ago. And what he's, in the very first chapter, something caught my eye. And, and I, want to, I want to read a little bit from it to you, okay? He says that the, the gospel of the kingdom is Christ as a Christ-centered gospel. But in recent centuries, we have been hearing another gospel. A man-centered, human gospel. It is the gospel, listen to this, the gospel of the big offer. The gospel of the hot sale. The gospel of the irresistible special deal. The ministers say, the gospel, they say this, people, if you will accept Jesus, you see, they already have a problem because it is Jesus who accepts us, not vice versa. But we've put man in the place of Jesus, so man is very important now. So the evangelists say, poor Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Please open the door. Don't you see him standing out there in the cold and the snow? Poor Jesus. Open the door for him. No wonder the listener thinks he, he, he would be doing Jesus a great favor to become a Christian. We have told people, if you accept Jesus, you'll have joy, you'll have peace, health, prosperity, and so forth. If you give Jesus $10, you'll get $20 back. We are appealing to man's interest. Jesus is the Savior and the healer, and he's coming for me. But me is the center of our gospel. Our meetings are man-centered. Even the arrangement of the furniture, the chairs, and the pulpit points to a man. When the pastor makes out the order of service, he doesn't think about God, but rather about the audience. I'll see now for the first song. Uh, we'll, we'll stand. But the second one, we better have Meryl sit because they'll be tired from that. And then we'll have like a little duet or a special song. And, and that'll change the atmosphere just a little bit. And then we'll do something else. And it all must fit into one hour so that people don't get too tired. Where is Jesus the Lord in all this? Our hymns say the same thing. Count your blessings. Jesus belongs to me. I'm satisfied with Jesus. Our prayers are man-centered. Lord, bless my home, bless my husband, bless my cat, bless my dog. For Jesus' sake, amen. That prayer is not for Jesus' sake at all. It's for our sake. Is it home? We often use the right words, but we use them with the wrong attitude. We fool ourselves. Our gospel is like Aladdin's lap. We think we can shake it and rub it a little bit and receive any, everything we like. No wonder Karl Marx called religion the opium to the masses. Perhaps he's right. He was not a fool. 
He knew that our gospel is often an escape for people. But Jesus Christ is not opium. He is the Lord. You must come and give yourself to Jesus and fulfill His demands when He speaks as Lord. If our leaders had been threatened by the police and the high priest as the apostles were in Acts 4, they'd probably have prayed, Oh, Father, be merciful to us. Help us, Lord. Be merciful to Peter and John. Don't let the soldiers touch them. Please give us a way to escape. Don't let us suffer. Look at what, what they're doing to us. Oh, Lord, stop them. And don't let them do any harm. Us. We. I. Me. But when you read Acts 4... The praying was just the opposite. He says, notice how many times you see the word you and your. Let's read it again, church. When they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your, of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage against the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and with those uh, Jews, uh, Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. It wasn't about them. Believer's prayer is not about the believer. It's about who you believe in. And he, then remember he says, enable your servants, your servants. That sounds like he say, they, they refer to themselves. And they say, we're servants. Your servants, too, Lord. I thought last week, Lord's Supper, I think, didn't we hear we're serving somebody? We're not really free of anybody. And we serve a new master. I believe a better master. It's not I. It's not me. It's not we. These people aren't praying about stuff like, get me out of this. Or get them back. They're not bitter. They're not angry. They're not saying, change this situation, Lord. Guys, you know what they realized? With this idea about the nations raging and Pontius Pilate and Herod and all those guys opposing Jesus, they've learned something. I'm a disciple in the kingdom of God. And I'm in a different culture than the one I was used to be in. And we do not get along. We're going to collide. There is a collision course between my culture and the one I was in. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. That tells you how different it really should be. How different it really is. What do they, they, what do they pray for? They say, Lord, help us endure this. We pray your will be done. And isn't that what Jesus said when, 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 when he's telling the disciples? Um, is it Matthew? or, or He says... Uh, they say, teach us to pray. And he says, well, here's how you should pray. And one of the things he says, may your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. What's Jesus, what's Jesus telling a believer to pray for? Pray that God's will can be done in a broken, messed up, screwed up, opposed-making world like in the perfect place of heaven. That the, that the will of God can be done just as smoothly and thoroughly 
Do you pray for the will of God to be done like that? Or do you pray for your will to be done like that? Even Jesus Christ in Luke 22 prayed, Lord, take this cup from me, would you? But but I'll tell you what, not my will, but yours be done. These people were praying, these believers were praying like the person they believed in. Do you pray? No, that's not a question, really. I can't form it as a question. I'll just say it as a statement. We do pray like who we believe in. That hurts, doesn't it? If we were God honest here, guys, we pray based on our faith. We pray like, and if I say, Lord, give me this, give me this, I want this, I want this, why don't you give me this? I've been asking, I've been praying and fasting. It may not even be in the will of God. But it's my will. It's Tim's will. But if your will, I don't know if I want to go in, I want to be a part of your will. Listen to yourself. When we pray for our will to be done over God's. Well, you ought to question if you're a believer. I sure do. If you want your prayers to be powerful, church, and I sense we want our prayers powerful, don't we? We pray for God's will to be done over our own. I used to say, you go back over your prayer list and ask yourself, what's, what's my will I throw in every once in a while over God's? Here's the third thing. When, if I want my prayers to be powerful, it's when I believe in praying with other believers. Wait a minute, Tim. Jesus Christ one time said, don't pray like you're out on the street corner, but go into your closet and pray by yourself. And that's why I believe prayer is very private. Well, you've got to remember, guys, Jesus is not confronting. He's not saying be private. He's talking about praying for show. He's not talking about not praying with other people. He's saying don't pray in front of people like you're all that in a bag of chips when you're really not. You should humble yourself and go pray in the closet. And by the way, I'm not suggesting you can't pray by yourself. Lots of prayer needs to be going on by ourselves. The whole book of Psalms is filled with prayers to David by himself. If you want your prayers powerful, praying with other believers empowers that. Man, it makes your prayers way over the top. Look what it says here in Acts 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I want you to circle together in prayer. Now what I'm about to say to you, try to understand me. I need powerful prayers in my life right now. I need to know when I call on God, He's going to answer. I have a father-in-law that is so messed up. He lost his wife in January, and I need, I need God to answer my prayers for this. I have a mom in Arizona, and I want her back. I need power in my prayer. But if you don't stand with me, if you're not in unity with me, You make my prayers a waste of my time. Listen to me, church. All of you could say this. You could say it to me. Tim, I need you to stand with me because I need some prayers that are powerful too. And you could look at somebody else in this room and say, you know, and somebody you suspect isn't really unified and say, 
Oh, how I need you to be unified and, and let's be one as a church. Why? Because we need power in our prayers. These people prayed together and shook the place. God will not answer the prayers of a divided church. That's the best I can frame it. We've got to stand together. I know we're going to be different. You're going to be different. You, you like different songs. I like different songs. I like different things. You like different things. That person next to you is different. I mean, look around. It's Oscar Mayer wiener time, guys. We're different. Short, tall, skinny, wide. Everything is here. We can't let our differences divide us. Because it makes our prayers powerless. And there's just something. I mean, have you been, do you, guys, you know, there's, there's, I don't know, maybe just me, but I found this very challenging. There's things I pray to God about privately that I don't pray with other people. And I just wonder if God's having a hard time answering those. Well, Tim, you're saying I have to pray my deepest. I'm, I'm saying try it. Why not try it? Why not pray about those deep, dark things that scare you, that discourage you? that bother you with another Christian. See, we, we twist the Scriptures so easily. Jesus says this. Look what He says here. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about something and pray, to, pray for it, it will be done for you by My Father in Heaven. This is true, true because, because if two or three people come together in My name, I am there with them. You know what we want to do? We say, yeah, okay. I'm going to have me, myself, and I. I'll just have, I'm content with me, myself, and I. You really think God doesn't see through that logic? He says, when you've got two people together saying, look, I want to, I want to, we're after the will of God. We're at, we're, we want the power of God to work in, in my marriage or in, in, my, in, in, in my school or, or my neighborhood or just with something I'm going through. Why not pray with somebody? I love the cell phone. You can pray. I pray with uh, Jim, James Lampley and I pray every Sunday over our sermons. When I come to church. We pray, we've prayed this way together for three years now. Every Sunday. He's in Texas right now. And he calls me from Texas. You ready to pray? I said, yes, sir. What do we pray for? That God works. Even if I look like an idiot even if he looks like a fool, that God works. That's all I'm after. I just want to make sense, Lord. I just want to make sense. And I find great strength in that. You'll find great strength when you pray with your family, with your friends. I mean, what do you pray about when you're praying with other people? Safe things or the scary things? That's why we have prayer cards. It's one of the reasons we have prayer cards. So you can, you can write down something you want to pray about and people can pray for you. But I, I want to ask you to take it a step fur, further. You know, our prayer team, I'd like you to take it a step further. Why not call that person you're praying for and pray with them this week? And say, I got your card and I want to pray with you over this. 
How powerful would our prayers be if we prayed together? Gary, we need another prayer meeting, don't we? Yeah. The fourth, the fourth thing that makes my prayers powerful is, is, as a believer, is when I believe God will answer. We get really confused with this one. Do we believe God answers prayer? Well, yeah, He just doesn't answer mine. Because I've been talking and talking and talking and getting nowhere. Are you sure He hasn't answered? What answer are you looking for? Huh? I know what it is. I know how it works. God's not answering my prayer. What I really mean is God's not saying yes. If God will say yes, then I believe He answers prayer. If God says no, that's not the answer I want, uh, He doesn't answer prayer. But sometimes God says yes. Sometimes He says no. And sometimes He says, whoa, or wait. And those are all answers. You know, sometimes a, a no from God is as good and as big a blessing as a yes. That wait for it, wait a minute, could be as good as a yes. See, I'm, I'm saying, do, do I believe God will answer prayer? And by the way, if God answers the prayer and says no, do we accept it? Or do we think, well, if I choose him some more, maybe I can get that yes out of him. I'll fast a couple of days. Lord, I'm not eating now. I've got you where I want you. Really? No, God answers prayer. In Acts 4, it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Did God answer their prayer? Enable your servants to speak boldly. Did God answer their, their prayers? He'll answer yours too. I've got three verses to show you and then I'm done. I want these to encourage you. And I hope they do. Let's look at the first verse, Pat. In Psalms 120, the psalmist said, I took my trouble to the Lord. I cried out to Him and He answered my prayer. God will not answer prayers you don't pray. Number two. That made sense, huh? If you don't pray about it, He ain't going to answer it. Well, I prayed about it once. That's not praying. That's sending a text. Okay, here we go. That's just a spiritual text as far as I'm concerned. Well, he can read it again. Oh, come on. Stop it. Look at this. But when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because if you're going to pray, expect an answer. Expect it to be yes, no, or woe. I heard a preacher say go, no, and woe, whatever. Expect one of those three to come back. He answers. Here's the next one. Keep on asking. Jesus said these words. So you know they've got to be true. They're red letters. Look at this. Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. For everyone who seeks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. 
if you're sinful, if you if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? I, 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 you know, parents, I mean, don't you want to give your kids a lot? If they ask for bread, do you give them a rock? Of course not. Uh, if they say, I like to have a fish, you give them a snake out of the water. You find a water moccasin. Here you go. That's close enough. It's in the water. No, this is not swamp people. I don't want that. He says, of course you don't do that. You don't think God's any different? If you people, he says, if, if, if us sinful people don't understand that, he's saying, then why won't you understand that God wants to answer your prayers too? And he wants to give you good gifts. Now, according to the Scriptures... God is the source of good gifts. They're His gifts. They may not be what you wanted, but you can definitely count on they are what He wanted. This morning, you have a card in your bulletin. It's a simple card. It just you know it gives you a chance to, for a prayer request. It gives you a chance to maybe make a decision. You need to make a choice today. Maybe you need to study the Bible with somebody. Maybe you need to deal with some sin. Because you're not dealing with the sin... God's not listening to your prayers. Why not deal with it? Are you unified with with the rest of everybody else here? It has a big impact on the rest of this church and and the power in their prayers. Are you praying with somebody? Maybe you should pray with somebody this week. Decide, I'm going to pray with a couple of people. Cell phone's available. You can do that easily. You can do that face-to-face. Why, I got an iPhone 4S. I can do FaceTime now. You can actually look at the person you're praying with. Let's see you. What are you doing nodding off? What do you need? You need powerful prayer? Do you need to believe that God is powerful? Maybe you've, begun to, maybe you've put God in a box. Maybe, maybe you've made Him pale. Maybe, maybe you've aged Him to think He's just too old. Your God is powerful and He wants to answer your prayers. Are you praying out of the will of God? Or are you praying with your will kind of mingled in there? Are you trying to be like a slick congressman, trying to slide your will in as you're asking out for the bigger things that you know are His will? Stop doing that. That will not empower your prayer. May God bless you this week as we pray. And, and let's be believers who pray, really pray, and watch God shake. Shake this world up.